you're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Monday, and in these episodes, you'll hear Sangram interview incredible practitioners, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs within our community. And like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. So yeah, Jim and I met, I was like fascinated by his talk. I think that everybody in the group, the people that were listening, a lot of really cool conversation. And he's, as most of you know, he's a leading voice on agile marketing. As a matter of fact, if you haven't checked, um, he, he obviously wrote another book that he's going to talk about, but he also co-authored the Agile Marketing Manifesto, which I think is one of the best uh, written, written uh, posts out there. So check that out. Um, what, one of the things that Jim, we were, we were talking about this even before, there are about 70 plus organizations that have adopted the agile and uh, the way of marketing. He, he has taught them like T-Mobile to others that, you know, and, and Jim, you can share more about the type of companies and consulting you do. Uh, and prior to that, he worked at Microsoft. So he knows complex organizations to early stage startups. He just have done the gamut has been a CEO of three different startups. So he's just seen it work. I remember, and Jim, maybe as you start to kick it off, maybe share the story you shared with, with me and the people, I think it was in Asheville, where I don't know if you remember this one, where you talked about the fact that somebody, um, in terms of the way they looked at experimentation uh, at Microsoft, or was it Google, and you were sharing like how many experiments they were running at the same time. And I think everybody was shocked, like how many experiments they ran as a group. And I think that was, that is the one thing that I was like, oh my God, we're no way close to that. We're not even thinking like this. So maybe you can open up sharing that uh, as you get into your presentation. Sure. I know the story you're talking about. It was actually at Twitter. Um, and it was a guy named Sanjay Patel. When he first came to Twitter, he asked them, how many experiments, you know, A-B tests and that kind of thing. Are you running a week? Right. And this is at a time when they had, oh, I don't know, maybe, a, you know, 100 million, 120 million, something like that, uh, uh, active Twitter users. So I mean, they, they had quite a base to test with. Right. And they said, well, we're running about one test every two weeks. Right. So they were running half a test a week, essentially. And he said to him, that's not nearly enough. And instead of telling them, hey, test more, he set them a very specific goal. He said, okay, I want you as quickly as possible to get to testing, to doing two tests per week, right? So from half a test a week to two tests a week seemed doable, but challenging. Then when they got to two tests a week, he said, okay, now I want you to get to five tests a week, then 10 tests a week. And then I think he took it all the way up to 50 tests a week, okay, uh, that they were doing. And what he saw is that as soon as they started testing more, they started learning more. They started realizing what really drove engagement. And, and I show this in a slide. I don't think I had a slide today. But the slope of their acquisition of new users went from sort of semi-flat, just growing a little bit, to like they, they, they improved their growth rate 170%. Okay, And he attributed that to the increase in testing. Because if they test more, they learn more, they learn more, they can do better things for their, their customers. And that increases engagement, increases the number of people who like the platform. So I think that's, is that the story that you're referring yeah, to? 
Yeah. yeah. I think everybody, even if you didn't take anything else and just took that, that's worth the, the price of admission for, for, for this session. Um, and and I, I'm, I'm taking notes again because I remember it, but I keep thinking like we're not doing nearly enough. I think about that for terminus. I think about that for peak, uh, for messaging, from the way we're putting stuff out there. So I, I just take a note and I'm just going to put it in front of me of like, are you testing enough? Um, and, and figure that out because that, that part, and I'll, I'll share one last thing. And then, you know, Jim, this is your floor. So you, you, you know, take it from where, where you want to take it from here. Um, but I, I feel like a lot of people do the same thing with, when thinking about their own, um, personal brand. And I know some of you have been talking about that and thinking about that, but most of you probably know this, like I'm really bad at grammar. And, uh, and, but I still post stuff on LinkedIn and Judd and Eden would say, can you ever please text, look at what you just did? And I'm like, <laughs> I, I, I don't even look at what I posted a month, like yesterday. I just don't. But over a period of time, I just wanted to make a habit of like posting one, one thing every single day, three years ago, I made that commitment and it just made me think about, oh, that's a good idea. Oh, I got zero comments or likes. Okay. So that's not really clicking. And it wasn't to build my personal brand. It was more to learn what's working, what's not. A lot of the early ideas of building our company actually came by posting a poll and saying, oh my God, that poll had a thousand views or thousand comments. And that was crazy at that time. And then over a period of time, it just became a habit. So just by posting every day, it just allowed me to just test different messaging, test different ways and what, what's really hot, what's not hot, what's crappy. And the beauty of it is nobody remembers how crappy yesterday's post was, right? So once you get over the hump of the fact that really nobody is going and looking at your post, like it just takes a lot of, we are not the most important people in the world. Once I got over that, that I'm not the center of the world, it, it, was, it became easy. It became just a habit. So I'm just thinking about it is that how practical what Jim just shared is you can use that in your life. You can use that in your business. You can use that uh, in the work you do every day. So testing, got to do more testing. So Jim, with that, I think that should be part of your presentation, man. That's a crazy story, a crazy growth story. Uh, yeah. I love it. Well, um, let me just say one more thing about what you just said. You know, you're talking about how your grammar wasn't perfect. Your spelling wasn't perfect. Oh, it's still not. Grammarly, I, I don't, grammarly I don't care. actually looks at well, me. It has and nothing like their top customer. <laughs> the the spelling and the grammar have nothing to do with the quality of the post. Yeah. The quality of the post is what engages people. It's the content, yeah. right? And yeah. one of the things that we need to make sure that we do is we don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, right? I mean, you've heard that saying, but it's really important when you think about this testing, stuff, right? Is that you, it's more important to get out there and you know test as you know on a regular basis to post on a regular basis, to, you know, tweet on a regular, you know, daily, that sort of stuff, then it is to have it perfect every time. Because, I mean, look, look think about, this is, videos is an area where I particularly think this is true. The, the most viral videos are not the perfect, right? They're not the ones that have the highest, uh, you know, quality of video uh, production, you know, values or whatever. They're the ones that resonate with people, right? And all those things have to be tested. I mean, you look at a lot of so-called viral videos. It's not the first time they put out a video like that. Oftentimes, 
it's the hundredth time or something like that that they've tested. Okay. One more thing. I, I we're, we're going off on tangents, but that's okay. I don't have <laughs> slides. Okay. We may just talk. This is a great book. Do you know this book? Okay. I usually, you know, I talk about my own books, but it's called You <laughs> Should Test That by Chris Goward. Okay. If you can see that, that name. Okay. I, I, I don't know if you've read this. He has one of the best methodologies for how you think about your landing pages, your homepage, your, you know, all the important pages on your website. Okay. He calls it the lift methodology. And it's not an acronym. Okay. It basically says your value proposition is the main element of what lifts your brand, what lifts your story, everything. Okay. So you got to have a really powerful value proposition. And then from there, I think there's four factors that can improve your lift of your value proposition and three factors that can decrease it. Okay. And I can't, I'm not going to tell you all those factors right now. Read the book. It's, it's really good. Uh, I love Chris's stuff. Okay. So recommendation. All right. Let's get into some uh, things about agile marketing and the 90 day plan. Okay. So um, I've kind of got two threads of today's journey, some things that I want to talk about, right? And the first thread is about why agile marketing adoptions fail, okay? And I'm going to talk about some reasons. You see four reasons here. I'm going to talk about more than four. There are lots more, I can tell you. I've seen them all, okay? I don't know if I've seen them all. I've seen a lot, okay? And then I'm going to talk about, well, okay, those are the reasons they fail. How do you... How do you successfully adopt agile marketing? Okay. And I'm going to show you my kind of framework, okay, which is called the six disciplines for adopting agile marketing. And I'm also going to talk about how do you create an agile culture? Okay. Because there's the kind of operational aspects of agile, the things that we do to, you know, make sure that we are doing things quickly and we're doing things customer focused and all those sort of things. But there's also the strategic aspect of Agile, and that's about changing the culture. And I'm going to talk in that respect about something I call the four shifts, okay? And then I'll kind of bring it all together in this 90-day plan, okay? So let's talk about why Agile marketing adoptions fail. One of the first reasons is that people don't get aligned, and they don't really even talk about why they're adopting Agile, all right? And sometimes they have some really bad reasons for adopting Agile. The worst is everybody's doing it. You know, Agile's kind of hot right now. Okay, I'm glad about that. It means, you know, I've got business, more business, quite frankly, than I can handle. But that's not a good reason to adopt Agile, okay? It, it, you, you, you really need to think about it and articulate your reasons better than, than that. A second reason that I see people adopting Agile, which is not a good reason, is we know something's wrong. So rather than figure out what's wrong, let's just adopt Agile. Like, uh, you know, the classic thing is that they don't really have a clearly articulated business strategy or product strategy. And that's kind of causing all kinds of problems down in the organization. Nobody prioritizes things. There's no way to prioritize things, things like that. And they say, oh, well, let's adopt Agile because things aren't working well. Right, you got to fix these other things first. Okay, the third reason that's a bad reason is that people say 
you know, marketing, they don't have a sense of urgency. They're not producing enough of what we need for the field. They're not producing enough, you know, ebooks. They're not producing enough blog posts, all that sort of stuff, right? And let's just get them agile and then they'll produce more stuff, okay? How many of you need more emails in your inbox, marketing emails in your inbox? How many of you need more, you know, ebooks, okay? It's not about more stuff. It's about the right stuff at the right time for the customer, okay? And so if you think that Agile is just going to help you, you know, increase the number of ebooks from, you know, 10 ebooks to, to 40 ebooks a quarter, who could read 40 ebooks, okay? That's the wrong thing to think about. Now, quantity does matter when you're testing because that's about learning, but about stuff, you don't want to be about stuff, okay? I've listed some good reasons here, okay? The best reason is the last one. And that is you want to start small, okay? And you want to do it on a very specific, well-scoped project. One of my most successful implementations was at Best Buy Canada. They started and they said, we're making a two-week commitment to Agile. That's it. Right. There are some people in the organization who were like adamantly opposed to it. In particular, they were adamantly opposed to having anybody from their team. These are mid-level managers to join one of these, you know, scrum, scrum teams or, you know, agile teams, the the cross-functional teams. Okay, And the way they got around that is they said these people are going on vacation for two weeks. Not really. They're going to go and work on this thing for two weeks. And that's all the commitment they made. But they had very specific thing. It was a new business that they were starting. And in two weeks, they got more done than they expected to get done in the first three months. Okay. And so they went on from there. They now have seven of these agile teams. Okay. One for every business unit. They think it's the best thing that they've done in the last, you know, two years. Okay. That they, they've done this. It's particularly helpful uh, with COVID. So, I'm going to stop and just ask any questions about this. Does this make sense that you need to start by getting alignment? Yeah. I'd love to also know how many of you guys are actually doing Agile today. You are, Nadine? I mean, well, What do people say? Kira? Yeah, I see a, yeah, a few people saying that they do. Um, but yeah, we'd love to hear people like, what, what, Nadine, maybe you could just kick us off and tell us, like, how do you, how do you implement it? What do you see? So um, um, implemented um, Agile three years ago, um, and, and probably at the time not very um, um, super super well um, over the years, you know. Um, really, um, and but 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 Jim is right. Um, the, the 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 foundation of it is the alignment, um, aligning the um, organization strategy to your marketing strategy and re- revisiting that alignment on a regular basis. It's it's absolutely key because you can have all the sort of like, um, as we say, Jim, all the ceremonies of agile, but actually not just just talking agile, but not doing agile. And um, but I, I, I totally agree. Um, the strategic yeah. element is is key. Whether you have to which you know implement some um, OKR strategies or or other form of. Um, of processes for alignment, but um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. 
Well, what, what I found, this is my six disciplines. This is what my book, The Six Disciplines of Agile Marketing is about, right? And when I first started, I thought it was all about process management. I thought it was all about, you know, the ceremonies, as you said, right? You know, holding daily stand-ups and running sprints and having Kanban boards and all that sort of stuff. That's the process management piece, right? But what I found is that you've got to do some other things first, right? You've got to get alignment. And I'll talk about who to get aligned with in just a moment. You've got to have the right structure because you really do want to go to these autonomous teams, okay? The pods, as they're sometimes called, okay? And, um, and I'll talk a little bit about what that looks like and then how you get there and, and, and the mistakes that I see people make there. Um, and then beyond that, you get to things like the validated learning. This is the thing we were talking about earlier, Sangram. We were talking about how the, t- the testing stuff, right? That's what I call validated learning, right? That's the next step, okay? And then so forth. So these became the disciplines, okay? Um, and this alignment thing, let me tell you the, 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 cre- the key areas to seek alignment. One is, why are you adopting agile marketing? What does success look like? And how are you going to measure? Right? One of the things that I think is really key is that the marketing department needs to understand in a very concrete way how they add value. And it sounds like a, like a trivial thing. It sounds like, oh, well, of course we know that. We, we add value by marketing. No, 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 no. No, you have to be more specific than that. We add value by, for example, we drive these kinds of leads. We then um, take these kinds of leads and turn them into qualified leads. We then take you know, these kinds of leads and nurture them into you know, sales and so forth. Okay, You need to really start defining that that's part of how you add value, right? We add value because we branding, for example, right? People think branding is about the colors and the brand book and all that sort of stuff. No, 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 no. Branding isn't about that. How you add value in branding is that you add associations, good associations with your brand. You add awareness of your brand, that sort of thing. And marketing needs to get really clear on that. How do they add value? If they can't do that, if they can't define how they add value, they can't add value, right? So that's the first thing is really getting clear on that. The second piece is getting aligned with the other parts of the organization. First class, when I teach agile marketing, the homework after the first class is to go out, meet with somebody outside of marketing and ask them, what does marketing do well? What don't we do so well? What can we do for you in the next 60 to 90 days that would make a difference, you know, in terms of your organization? Okay. What's important to you? How do you get measured? Those kinds of questions. I have a series of questions that they go through, right? You've got to get that aligned. And Nadine said something important. Alignment doesn't happen just one time. you got to do it on a regular basis. Like, I would recommend meeting with the other parts of the organization biweekly, okay? At the very least, you need to meet with them once a month, okay? But the more you meet with them, the less they think that marketing is a black box. That's what they think today. They either think marketing is useless or they think it's a black box that they don't understand. Okay. You want to practice what I call radical transparency with the other parts of the organization so that they know 
you're aligned with them, and they know what you're doing for them, right? And the last piece is aligned on your view of the customer, strategy, personas, buyer's journey, what's the key messages, all that sort of stuff, okay? You get alignment on those kind of things, you will be a more powerful marketing organization. What do people think? Am I just spouting crap or do you think this makes sense? Yeah, I can support here. Uh, I'll give you the HSBC example. That's a huge corporate and Agile was implemented like smartly across um, every country. And we were coached about what Agile is and how it works. And we implemented Monday.com and whatnot. But then we started thinking what marketing projects are actually a good fit for Agile. And it should have been the other way around because where we ended up, it's just, you know, piling up emails and software and the relevant people going on stand-ups instead of just, you know, proper project management Mm -hmm. with the agency. So uh, I'm not there anymore. I don't know whether it has been ironed out better, but everything you said uh, basically can be quantified in lost money, um, time, you know, frustration of people. And we never set the measurable goal for other departments and never met with them at all. So we didn't Mm -hmm. even know what content they want to get from us faster via Agile. So, like, I'm glad you raised those objections. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's this focus not just on what content do they want, but what outcomes. Right? I had this, this is phrase in Agile, right? Outcomes over outputs. Right? Okay? So, I don't care how many emails you send out. What I care about is how many leads did those emails generate. You do two, two leads, I mean, two emails, okay? I'll, I'll give you an example. This is a case study. Um, so there was an organization, an AI, a company called MX, and they had an AI solution for really understanding why and how people engage with emails. And they worked with the local bank here in Seattle called Boeing Employee Credit Union. They go by BECU, their initials. And they went from 17 emails a month on average to a customer to two emails a month per customer. Okay. Um, but those two emails were customized by the AI technology to be of great interest to that particular customer. Okay. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but my, my memory is that their lift, the, the increase in conversion, the, their conversion rate was some, was between two and, and three times. Okay. Which is a huge, you know, I mean, you're going from, you know, maybe a 0.5%, 0.9% conversion rate to a 3% conversion rate, that's a big difference, okay? When you're talking of, you know, millions of members, because that's what they have. They have millions of members, okay? Um, so that's what you want to focus on is those out. Somebody else uh, have, have thoughts or experience with this? Well, let me go on to the next area, which is structure, okay? Here's a very typical, you know, marketing organization structure. You've got a VP, you've got different areas, digital marketing, product marketing, content marketing, creative. Uh, You know, this is obviously a small 
set, usually there's six or seven people there. And sometimes they have different titles and, and that sort of thing. But what happens in these organizations is that you get what I call the matrix of silos. Okay. You get people who are very loyal to their specific silos, content marketing, product marketing, whatever it is. And, but to get anything really done, like anything useful at all, you have to involve all of these skill sets, right? So if you want to, for example, get more leads by producing the best ebook on whatever your particular topic is, okay, you've got to have product marketing to help you write the right things. You've got to have people in content marketing who are writers to write this stuff. You got to have creative to make it look good and have all the diagrams in there. And then you have digital marketing to actually, you know, put it out there and, and convert it into leads and all that sort of stuff. I mean, anything interesting, you have to go across these silos. And so what ends up happening is that individuals in these particular groups, they work on five, 10, 15 different projects at the same time. And what inevitably happens is the priorities are all different. And, you know, the guy in creative thinks this is the first priority and the guy in product marketing thinks this is a different priority. And, you know, and it, it never gets resolved by the VP of marketing because they want all those things. And, and it just ends up being crazy, okay? So what agile teams do and here's another, I, I love recommending books. One of the best books about Agile, okay, is Stephen Denning's The Age of Agile. And you can get a, set, a sense for what he says in this article explaining Agile and Forbes. Just put that into Google and you'll find it, okay? And he talks about the three laws of Agile. The one I want to talk about right now is the law of the small team. In Agile, autonomous cross-functional teams, and what I mean by cross-functional is they have all of the skill sets necessary to do something interesting, right? They have somebody to do digital. They have somebody to do graphics. They have a writer. They have a strategist, whatever, the, the skill sets that are necessary. They have all those skill sets on a team, and they are focused on working in short cycles, and they are to totally focused on the customer. What is the customer behaviors that we want to drive and how do we do that? And they can then measure all those things. So, for example, let's say there's lots of ways to organize these teams. But let's say that you organize them by uh, stage in the uh, customer journey, right? So, for example, I did some work for T-Mobile. And one of the stages in their customer journey is that people need to choose a plan, right? They need to choose you know, which of the, they have all these different plans, which of those plans that they need to choose. They want to make that choice as easy and uncomplicated as possible for people. They can't have fewer plans because they, they just have different audiences, but they don't want to get it so complicated that people, you know, they, they, they quit. They don't make a, cho a choice. They don't do that. So they put together a team that was just focused on choosing a plan, right? And basically their big measure of success was a lower drop-off rate when people came to that stage of customer journey. 
right? I forget what they started with, the, and I couldn't even say anyway. Their dropout rate was huge, and they brought that down a lot, okay? So let's say you got an agile team just focused on that, and they've got a web person, and they've got a graphics person, and they've got all the people that, that do that, okay? That's the kind of team that you want to have, is that small team. How, what, I, what do I mean when I say small? Generally, I say five people plus or minus two. In other words, three to seven people on the team. If you got nine people on the team, 12 people on the team, it's too big. Okay. You just want to have those core skill sets that are necessary to do that. So here's what one might look like. Okay. Choose a plan, choose a device this is from T Mobile. Okay. You've got all these people on there. Here's some different ways to organize it customer journey, sales, stages of the sales funnel by business division. This is actually how Best Buy Canada did it. You know, they have, um, PCs, mobile devices, furniture, they, they sell everything. Okay. Value stream. That's another area. Okay. Uh, value stream is how we create value. Like, um, you know, maybe we create value by delivering leads. Okay. All that sort of thing. Not all your teams will be cross-functional. For example, you don't have enough work for a, to have a video person on each team. Okay. And so you may have a video a video team that works with all the other cross-functional teams. Another example is, um, again, at Best Buy Canada, they had uh, a weekly flyer that went out. It used to go out physically, like, you know, on the newspapers. Maybe it still does, but mainly it goes out via email now. And they wanted that to be one team that puts that out because they didn't want every business unit to put out emails to the customer. It would just be too many emails to the customer. So that became Jim, the chair. Yeah, question. Jim, sorry, man. I just want to, uh, to ask a question here because this is quite, quite interesting at this point. Um, so in my head, I'm looking at now a sales funnel process and I'm looking at a customer journey, which is two very different processes in an organization. Um, yeah. but, but they do intersect each other and there are roles and people that focus on pieces of work that basically are cross-pollinating across the, the, the two areas and the two, two uh, disciplines of, of, of the organization and the other ones as well that you've got here below with regards to projects and programs. Now, right. how do you put that all together and, and who manages? Is it the project manager or is it another role? Um, because now I want to go to roles with regards to that takes care of the duty to make sure that everything intersects right and everything basically achieves what you want to achieve at the end of the day. Yeah. So the way that that gets and it's kind out, of Sorry, that's kind of orchestrated and aligned to me. That, that goes to that discussion. Yeah. So the orchestration happens by a agile governance team of mm. usually managers, okay? And they are setting out the relationship between Here's the, the high-level strategy of the organization. Then they usually go into a program stage and then a project stage of what they're trying to do, okay? And they meet. So they, they generally have two kinds of meetings. One kind of meeting is the quarterly business review where they are planning for a quarter what the priorities are and what the big programs and projects are, what's going to be funded, what's going to not be funded. This is also, by the way, 
the way that you fund things in an agile world. Okay. You don't fund things by uh, there's a budget for events. There's a budget for digital. There's a budget for whatever. No, you don't fund it that way. You fund it by programs and sometimes by projects. Okay. But usually by programs. So you say, we're going to fund it at this level. And then people underneath can figure out how much they're going to use for events, how much they're going to use for digital. We don't care. What we care is that there's a, this amount focused on, you know, maybe a program around, uh, uh, well, one, one would be a, a project, like I'm, I'm, I'm again thinking of T-Mobile. They had one that was around iPhones and, and another uh, that was around Android. Uh, devices and and really making sure that they own those two customer sets, okay? And they have various projects underneath those programs, okay? They had another program around um, the whole customer journey. In their case, the customer journey in the sales funnel, as you say, they had intersections. So they kind of called it the customer journey, but they all understood that the sales funnel picked you know, that fitted in here. So it was almost like different language to describe the same thing, if that makes any sense, right? So the customer, they, they, they started with the customer is saying to themselves, I'm not happy with my current vendor. I want to see if T-Mobile has a better offer for me. That's what the customer is saying. From a sales funnel point of view, that's top of the sales funnel, right? People coming into the top of the sales funnel. But they use the customer language to describe that. If that so that those they tied together, so that going back to this agile, um, uh, the the team that that manages the 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 strategy and stuff. So they quarterly business re- review. They set up all of the um, the the strategies, the programs, the projects, and then they meet every two weeks usually to. Find out, are people on track? What's blocking them? And, you know, how do we get those blockers out of the way? That kind of stuff. So it's, there's a little bit of servant leadership stuff in there. But that, that agile management team that is managing that, they're the ones who oversee that. What it's not is a project manager. You know, somebody who builds Gantt charts and somebody who tracks all this stuff and says, oh, the, the due dates on everything are this and that. Part of the reason you don't do that is that all that project management stuff, I've never known it to be accurate. I've never known a Gantt chart to be accurate. It just isn't, okay? It, as far as I'm concerned, unless you are building, you know, the next Boeing plane, you don't need Gantt charts, okay? They're, they're useless for anybody else, okay? And so it's a waste of time. It's, it's waste in the lean sense to be doing all that stuff. We don't want to do that. We want to focus on getting stuff done rather than managing the, the, the due dates. Yeah. Jim, just on that, we, um, sorry, uh, just a quick one. Um, yeah, we used to plan waterfall and deliver a scrum, uh, when I ran a Microsoft business. Um, so we obviously, I ran a Microsoft, uh, ISV, and it was a project management business, so that's why I know that space pretty well. Uh, yep. So we planned waterfall and we delivered Scrum um, because in the execution you can iterate, but when you're planning and you're talking about the numbers, you you, you tend to go waterfall <laughs> anyway. 
Well, you do, but you know, if if you're saying waterfall, like you plan things and everything has to be in stages, and you finish this stage before you go on to the next, and so forth. Um, I actually think there can be some problems with that because you never know when you're you're going into something how it's really going to turn out. This is one of the the, the insights about Agile that people don't really get is that Agile is meant to handle complexity where things are ambiguous, they're uncertain, you don't know what you don't know. And until you start doing it a little, you can't know it, okay? So you write these artificial plans that say, we're going to do this, this, and this. And soon as you get into it, two weeks into it, you realize, oh, we made an assumption about this. There's no way this is going to work, okay? And that whole plan goes out the window because there was something that you made an assumption about that you just don't know, okay? And and that's the key thing about agile planning is that it has to be flexible enough to handle the changes that inevitably come about as you learn about things. Jim, just um, chiming in really quick. We had a question from Amin asking, are there challenges regarding increased number of communication touch points inside of an agile team? So um, specific to marketing compared to like other departments, software development, for example. Um, well, there can be. Uh, so the way you asked the question was you said, are there challenges in increased communication? In general, the, there is an, an increase in communication, and that's a good thing. Okay. Um, but there are some challenges when you have multiple teams and they are each autonomous, they are going to do some uncoordinated things. And that's sort of the price of agile. And you can't completely eliminate that. There are things that you can do to ameliorate that problem. You can have scrum of scrums. You can have quarterly business reviews. You can have these bi-weekly agile, um, you know, the, the senior agile team uh, reviews, that kind of stuff. But for it's sort of like if you think about your own personal strengths, okay, everyone's strengths also translate into a weakness. Like I'm, I'm pretty good at big picture stuff. I'm not so good at detail. I'm just not. And I'm not convinced that I could be both. I could be both good at the the big picture and good at the the details. Okay. And so the thing about agile is that there is going to be a certain amount of overlap, two teams who are both doing the same thing and coming up with different approaches. Sometimes that isn't actually a bad thing. I saw this at T-Mobile where two teams came up with two different approaches to the same problem, okay? And they weren't aware that they were working on this thing. Number one, one of the teams had much better results than the other. So uh, unexpectedly, they were doing an A-B test between the two approaches, okay? They had intended to do that, but they did that, okay? The second thing was there were a few things from the one approach that didn't work as well, that the other team thought, oh, I wish we'd thought of that. 
And so they combined them and they got even better results than the one that they did together. But there was definitely some um, duplication of effort and things like that. It's inevitable. And it's just something you have to accept about Agile, in my opinion. You really want autonomous teams, you're going to get some some overlap. Jim Kunal, this side, uh, I just wanted to share, you know, when, when you talk about strengths and weaknesses, there's something what we tried in our small team at Trustfair where, you know, we introduced uh, a three by three by three uh, program for uh, starting with the marketing team, which expanded to the product team and sales team, wherein you list down the three strengths which you have with respect to whatever you're doing. You list down the three things which you would like to work upon in the next three months. And then to break the silos, uh, you have, say, for example, if product marketing team is actually working on the next product marketing campaign, then there will be a primary one from the product marketing team and align and break the silo from somebody, say, for example, from content would like to actually be a secondary support on that project. So first, align better. Second, you break the silos, right? Yeah. And then during the stand-up meetings bi-monthly, everybody starts sharing that what they are doing and, you know, how can you change or adapt to how the market is responding. Right. I love that. I mean, breaking down those silos is super critical. And, you know, if you use your three by three by three method or whatever you do. Exactly. It's it's really important to start getting that communication going between the silos. Exactly. Because Because you're you're right. You're sometimes you're in so much love with what you're doing. You don't realize that you've started baking a cake for somebody who has Diabetes, so right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a good one. Making a cake for somebody who has diabetes. Okay, I love it. Um, well, the other thing is that people who have different skill sets kind of have a different point of view. You know, like creative people, they come up with. So, developers they usually go pretty quickly to a solution, right? They're going to implement it in this way. Creative people, they want to generate six solutions before they decide on which one they're going to do. And maybe even they decide, well, we're going to eliminate these three. Then I'm going to come up with three more. And you know what I mean? Creative people, they're always come up. They want to see multiple solutions, right? Well, those are different strengths. But, you know, sometimes... It, it's good to have a creative person who's going to see something that's totally different than the person who's, you know, narrowing in on a particular solution. And so bringing those different skill sets into a cross-functional team and, and sharing it, you know, via your three by three by three, you start to get people appreciating other people's skills. And you start getting those different skill sets contributing to each other. That's right. And that's a good thing, you know, because, you know, oftentimes we don't appreciate what the other people do. You know, classic thing in marketing is you talk to the product developers and they always tell you it's going to take so much longer than you think it's going to take. Right. You think, how long can it take to put up a Web page? You know, and you don't realize that in order to put up that Web page, you've got to have 
someplace to put the data afterwards and you got to be have some way to check the data and you got to have some way to integrate it with all the data that exists already. Anyways, all the stuff that developers think, right? And so once you kind of understand all those things, you have greater appreciation. Developers think, marketers, what the hell do they do? They sit around all day and whatever, okay? And they don't realize, man, marketers work hard, okay? They work hard, okay? And uh, so anyway, it's good to, to get. Let me ta- talk to you a little bit about where things can go wrong in this whole business about putting out cross-functional teams. The first thing that can go wrong, and I see this time after time after time, is that the teams aren't dedicated to whatever they're doing. I have a, a client right now, and they're saying to me, okay, we're going to have people 50% dedicated to their cross-functional team. And I say, well, what does that really mean? They were doing, let's say, 50 hours of work you know, prior to this. Does 25 hours of their work go away? Well, not exactly, <laughs> you know? And so they just say, okay, here's additional thing that you do. Try to, to put 50% of your time on there. And really what ends up happening is that people, if they're really going to do the job right, would have to work 75 hours a week, right? That's, what's, that's, that's in effect what would happen, okay? And so you can't do that to people. It just doesn't work. And I do this exercise when I have people in person. It's hard to do over, you know, this kind of connection, a virtual thing. But I have them do this exercise where I have them on two different agile games at the same time. And they have to constantly con, uh, context switch, okay? They have to constantly switch between this game and that game and this game and that game, okay? And it drives them nuts because they realize that every time they switch, they have to change their mind and say, oh, yeah, now I'm doing the pizza game. Oh, now I'm doing the Lego game. Now pizza, now Lego, now pizza, now Lego. Okay. And it, and it just drives them nuts, okay, to do that. And so we don't want to do that. By the way, how am I doing on time? I've got just 10 minutes left, right? All right. That's yeah, okay. I'll yes. have to get through all this. Yeah, this is good. But this is great conversation. I know you, there's another way in the end you can share. It's okay. How people can I'll, get I'll in touch with it. Yep. Here's the other big issue. And I, I don't think I, I forgot. I was going to put this reference on the slide. I forgot. There's a Harvard Business Review study where they studied cross-functional teams. And they found that 75% of them failed. There were two major reasons. One is they didn't have this kind of agile management team that I talked about earlier, the adoption team. But the second reason was that people tended to identify with their skill set group more than they did the team. So the creative person, they identified with the creative stuff. They still hung out with all the creatives. They still thought, I'm a creative. I'm not part of this team. Okay. And if they don't feel like they're part of the team, it's just not going to be a success. So you have to do some things to make sure that that autonomous team feels like a team, not just a temporary thing that they're assigned to. And then I mentioned that the other reason is they didn't have an agile adoption leadership team. The goal of the agile adoption leadership team is twofold. One is they need to give total clarity. And when I say total clarity, people really don't get how much clarity that they need to give people on what are the goals, what's in scope, what's out of scope, 
How are they going to be measured? Every time I get a leader to, to describe to me a project and I ask them, give me this clarity, I could answer, ask them 50 questions that they haven't answered. Okay. I, I torture them because it's like, well, I thought I told you, I thought I was clear. No, you didn't say this. You didn't say that. And I guarantee you, your team's going to ask you about this. Okay. So that's the first thing clarity. The second part of their role is to be a servant leader. And that means clearing obstacles, resolving conflicts, all that sort of thing. There's something that I haven't mentioned that's, that I haven't mentioned in their role. And that is they're not the taskmasters, right? If you give these teams autonomy and you give them inspiration and you really get them going, they are going to be so self-motivating. You're not going to hold them. You're not going to be able to hold them back. Okay. You don't need to like be the taskmaster. Okay. That's not part of your job. If you're part of this leadership team. All right. Let me talk about one more thing. I mentioned the six disciplines. Okay. And in the course, I cover all the other four disciplines. I don't have time to go over the rest of them. I also talk about in the book and in my course about something called the four shifts. I've mentioned one of these already. You want to shift from a focus on outputs. Our job is to produce more stuff to a focus on outcomes. Our job is to generate more leads. Our job is to generate more brand awareness. Okay. You also want to shift from a campaign approach. And what I mean by that is a one and done approach versus a continuous improvement approach. This is the whole testing thing. We don't do campaigns. Okay. What we do instead is we have an idea. We test it out with a small group of people. If it works, we grow the number of people. If it doesn't work, we try something else down there. That's the way we want to think. Okay. We grow these things and add more and more people, but if there's no campaign. It's just continuously improving. Internally focused, customer focused. People pay a lot of lip service to being customer focused. But when I ask them, do you, does every person in your organization have line of sight to how their work affects the customer? Nope. Do you, on every single deliverable, have how the customer is going to use this and what the value to the customer is and why they care. Nope, don't have that, right? So there's a whole bunch of things you can do to make that shift. And then the last shift is from top-down decision-making to decentralized decision-making. What I mean by that is some decisions are reserved for up top, but as much as possible, you want to push those decisions down and out in your organization. You don't want to be making all the decisions yourself. You're the top leader. Okay. Here are some examples of outcomes, outputs versus outcomes, just so you understand what I'm talking about. Okay. The key thing about outcomes is they represent customer behavior. Our job as marketers is not to be the arts and crafts department. It's not to produce pretty brochures. Our job is to change customer behavior. That's our job, is to change customer behavior. Unless we can start doing that, we're not successful as marketers. So when we think about outcomes, make sure that those relate to a customer behavior. Now, one of the things is it's not always financials. 
because marketing can't always directly impact financials. There are too many other people involved. So sometimes you have to think about what are the customer behaviors that lead to those financial metrics? Like leads eventually, particularly qualified leads, eventually lead to sales, right? That's a simple example. But we need to really understand when we, if our ultimate goal is revenue and profitability, what leads to that revenue and profitability, right? And you have to understand that, that well. And the last thing is, this requires that marketing move from a production mentality, we produce stuff, to a learning mentality, right? Our job is to learn what impacts customer behavior. These things that we produce, like white papers, webinars, et cetera, those are just a means to figure out what is going to change customer behavior. They're just a means to an end. The end is to change customer behavior. And we're all about learning what does that. Oh, I I talked about this one already. I forgot I had this in here, okay? They had a 9x lift in, in average revenue. Okay, remember I talked about this one earlier, 17 emails a month to two, two emails per month. I forgot I had that in there. Um, this is about campaigns to continuous improvement. It's all about A-B testing, my friends. I mean, if you're not doing 10 tests a week, figure out how to get there, okay? You know, Sangram, you said you had 300 employees. How many tests per week do you guys do? I'm gonna put you on the spot here. How many tests per week do you guys do? Well, not clearly not enough. Um, and uh, I don't have to ask my marketing team, but I think we're probably maybe maybe one or two a week uh, at most. So go and challenge them. Yeah. Next week, I want you to have a conversation with them and say, what would it take for them to get to five tests a week? If yeah. they complain, you tell them it's my fault, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we're going to have a session with you later on this one <laughs> to go through this. There you go. All right. Let me just, um, I want to get to where you can learn more, okay? Number one, check out the book. Uh, I, I spent a year and a half writing it. I, I, everything that I've said is in the book and a lot more, okay? Um, you know, 18 bucks at Amazon. Well worth it, okay? That's my pitch for the book. <laughs> my website, okay? Um, I've been blogging for 11 years uh, there. I don't know exactly, but I'm somewhere over 1,000 blogs post there. Lots of good stuff there, okay? The other thing is I have a special offer only for peak community um, people, okay? And I'm telling you, Sangram convinced me to do this, and he convinced me to price it so low, okay? Normally, I charge $800 for my full course, okay? This isn't the full course, but this is about 30% of the full course, plus some extra stuff that I put in just for leaders, okay? And I'm offering it for only $99, okay? www.agilemarketing.net slash peak. P-E-A-K, okay? And you'll see what it is. It'll show you, you know, the different modules. You get sort of a preview of it. Um, $99, good deal, all right? That's it. I'm going to just, I think I'm at my time or over. 
right at, right at my time. Okay. Right. Right at your time. And there are a couple yeah. of people who already have your book and stuff. So I don't know if anybody has questions and stuff, but we try to keep it on time Friday, get in and get out uh, off it. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that there'll be a lot more conversations happening in the peak community on it. Uh, we'll put the link, Jim, we'll, we'll put the link of all of that in the recap to the community as well. But dude, this is awesome. I'm so glad it was Q&A. It wasn't just a one-way presentation and such. And I, I told you, like, this is a great group to bring in. So thank you so much. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.